Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And yes, we're coming at you in the middle of the week this time. It's an English vodka. That's right, we had midweek games, so we're here with a rather early podcast for you. So before we get talking about the big games, and there was certainly one very big game, I'll introduce you to the two fellas that, well, always join me. Firstly, Manu, how are you doing? Yeah, it's a bit early in the week, Bryce, isn't it? I guess with, with all those English, English vodka spiele. We get to chat a little bit more often, which is nice, so I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. I must say I enjoyed the games uh, to a degree. I thought the uh, the entertainment was there. Um, maybe some of the results weren't quite there, but um, yeah, it's, it's good to catch up again and to, you know fire another uh, podcast together. Joining Manu and I is Chris Williams. Chris, how are you doing? Very well, Bryce, thank you. I enjoyed a good week's of, worth of football in the midweek. Uh, slight disappointed... With the result, I think the Bundesliga could have done with a really exciting title challenge as it's the only league back. But unfortunately, unless Bayern stand on a banana skin, I don't think we're going to get that. Yeah, I would say you're right, Chris. But uh, we'll get talking about that um, in plentiful uh, rather shortly. Uh, first of all, Manu, we're, we're going to go to you and, and talk um, a little bit about uh, an exclusive, an interview that you did this week um, on on the condition of the league um, with um, a rather important figure. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to speak um, directly to Christian Seifert on um, Monday. Um, that article came out um, on Wednesday. Uh, for Forbes, for Forbes Europe. Um, so, so that's available right now. I tweeted it out and, um, it was really interesting speaking to him. Um, Christian Seifert is, is a man that has, you know, leads this league uh, in terms and has been front, left and center for, for this restart, you know, in, in a very significant uh, political role. And it was really interesting chatting to him about, um, the state of the league, where the league is at and, um, how he sees the league continuing, whether it will actually be able to finish or not. And, I, you know, he was quite honest about um, a lot of things, including how difficult of a role it was um, for him to be in a position, in, in a position that he calls himself um, very political, you know, in a framework of a debate that at times was very populistic in Germany. And um, to have him to have to manage something um, that has nothing to do really with sport, right? Um, he said he's he's known he now knows more about um, case numbers and COVID nineteen than he ever should as a as a, as a manager of a sporting league. But um, yeah, it was really interesting talking to him and the the the, the facts that um, you know the way the league is going to go forward with the with the remaining games and the um, you know how many. How many Dynamo Dresden cases the league can can kind of survive? Um, the fact that you know they basically have to go from match day to match day. I think we we look at the three match days that have now passed. We're seeing there's no new cases. Um, I think we have that sense now that maybe the league can just continue. But it was really interesting how often he stressed that they need luck to be able to finish the season. They need luck and they need the discipline of the players to. You know, continue despite them going home now on on a weekly after, after the games that they, they still need to be very disciplined um, because like a few cases could bring 
could could bring everything out, could bring the entire house of cards to fall. Um, so it was it was it was an interesting conversation, um, Bryce. And I think he, as a person, he's just an interesting person to listen to because um, he has a background that in in sports, but also in economics. And I think um, he's looking at this this restart and COVID-19 maybe also as an opportunity to maybe restructure football a little bit. And Manu, just how um, confident is he that the uh, league will get completed in, in the uh, the time frame, you know, that uh, has been proposed? Yeah, I, th- I mean, they, they are willing to play into July if they have to. Um, and they hope that um, they get to match day 34. They have basically the flexibility to, to finish the season. And I think if you're in that position, you are maybe hopeful that you are able to finish a year. But um, at the same time, you always have to kind of be prepared uh, for for the worst case scenario, right? That maybe the few more cases, um, if you have three or four teams being put in quarantine, similar to how it has been the case with Dynamo Dresden, um, I think then it, it would get difficult. But I think for now, I mean, the first few match days um, have gone off without a hitch. And I think that's that's quite remarkable when you look at what the league has done in terms of organization, um, getting this getting this game getting games going again, and the the details of organizations that were required. I mean, we see it in a few instances, right? Of the fact that like when after games. For example, um, reporters hold a microphone, a long stick. And there's like a little box of a cross on the bottom of the floor where where the, where the journalist, where the players and coaches have to stand to, to keep social distancing and all that. Um, it requires a lot of planning, price, and I think it's quite remarkable that the league as a whole has managed to do this. And um, it's probably something that is going to be very difficult to replicate for for other sporting leagues. I mean, the, La Liga has now said that they come back. Premier League has said today that they're going to come back, but. It requires an enormous amount of organization and it requires all the teams working together. And I think in that case, the DFL is just in a way better position than any of the other leagues in Europe. And, and I mean, I don't suppose, Manu, he mentioned whether um, you know, economically it's benefiting the Bundesliga than being back early or anything like this. I think that the economic impacts of the league and making money is really kind of secondary right now. I think they're happy about the attention that they receive, but... Um, I asked him about how important it would have been for the league to have, um, and I know we're going to talk about this in more length, but I asked him about the importance of a title race, considering the amount of attention that the league is getting right now. And he said to me, usually he would love to have one, but right now they just want to finish the season. That is the number one thing um, that the league wants to achieve. It really isn't about receiving the attention. It's just about getting the season done, um, securing the, the finances that they can secure so they can basically keep going. And finally, what are his thoughts on the title race at the moment? Hmm. Yeah, he's, he said he would have loved one, but um, the title race, and it's an interesting point, uh, you know, the title race, and I'm curious what you think about this, Chris, but he said the title race is more important abroad than it is in Germany. Uh, in Germany, play, the fans of different clubs are more interested in what their club is doing, not who's going to win the title, unless, of course, the club is playing for the title. But, um, you know, in Germany, within the Bundesliga, there's a lot of attention being play, paid also for the European places, who's going to finish in the European places, the relegation, right? Those things that most fans, if you're a fan of Borussia Mönchengladbach, the title race is of secondary nature for you. You want to finish in the Champions League. So it's more something that is being paid attention to abroad. So in the UK and the United States, for example, they, for them, a title race is important. But within Germany, it's almost secondary. Yeah, I think it's. I think it is a shame, and it's a shame for the watching people around the world who, I think, would have liked to have seen something go down to the wire. Um, I don't know if it will now affect viewing figures. I've seen. Some negative responses in the UK, especially going, oh, well, that's it now. You know, Bundesliga was great to watch for a bit, but um, it's pretty much done now. But I think maybe those sorts of people wouldn't have watched the league anyway, had it um, not been the only one on. So I can understand why he would like to see a title race, Christine Seifert. I think we all would like to see a title race, but for the past... Seven seasons, pretty much, bar one or two anomalies. We haven't had that much of a title race um, 
I spoke this morning um, to uh, some American radio colleagues and said that uh, Brian don't really have a challenger. They have a couple of um, annoyances occasionally, um, and they could do with a challenger. But yeah, Manny's right. And that I think that's pretty much for every other league in Europe as well. I mean, look at Spain. It's generally a two-horse, maybe a three-horse race occasionally. You know, you've got fans of Ibar who are never going to win the league. They just want to see how high they can stay up. So um, it is disappointing, but I can see why it won't affect that many people, really. Well, I think on that note, we should probably talk about the big game. Muller now Kimmich. Kimmich has gone for a little dainty chip. It's beautiful. Oh, gorgeous chip for Kimmich to open the scoring just before... Yes, that was the goal. The goal that decided it from Joshua Kimmich. Uh, a fantastic chip um, over Roman Berkey's head, uh, making Bayern win 1-0 and pick up the three points. And yes, they're most certainly in the driver's seat now, aren't they, going into the final match days. Chris, uh, we'll go back to you and I suppose we'll break down the uh, Der Klassica a little bit. Um, we kind of hope that um, Dortmund would... You get something from this. You keep the title race alive, as we mentioned slightly there. But um, it, it wasn't to be. It was a very close game. I must say I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good quality. It was a high tempo. Uh, but it seemed like uh, small margins. And um, just as the game went on, it, it just felt like, like Bayern were, were going to come out on top on this one. Yeah, fine margins indeed. And uh, <laughs> the the margins between winning and losing were inches, I think. Inches that Roman Berkey gave up and then inches that um, Boateng got back to clear. Haaland shot off the line inside. I think it was the opening in 40, 50 seconds where he nutmegs Manuel Neuer, but Boateng's there on the line to clear the danger. Uh, I think that's that's the main two instances. I mean, we can speak about the penalty, but I did think that, or the penalty that was never given. I think on the whole... It was a really enjoyable fixture and it was good to watch. And, and Dortmund had a really, really good go at Bayern. But Bayern do what they did best, which is grind out a result. Um, they were under pressure for quite a lot of the match. But even though they were under pressure, I still didn't feel that they looked like they were going to buckle under that pressure. And I think that's just underlines how well um, Hansi Flick has got this side drilled and how well he's got them playing because I think a Niko Kovac side might have folded after that opening minute. Um, but obviously Flick sides didn't. As we've already said, I, th- I personally now think that this result's pretty much kill the title race. Um, and I think it's going to be a disappointing one for Dortmund because on paper, and we've always said on this podcast that football's not played on paper, um, <laughs> Dortmund have got a really good squad. Um, I just think... That maybe Lucien Favre is too nice a guy to lead Borussia Dortmund. Um, I think he's a great coach. I think sometimes in a title fight you need a bit of nastiness or a little something about you in order to get something out of your players. So I would argue, I don't know what Manu's thoughts are on this, but if that's Jurgen Klopp on a sideline or Thomas Tuchel, um, I think Dortmund draw that game. Um, And I also think they draw that game if there's a crowd in there because maybe the yellow wall appeals for a penalty when the ball certainly looked to have come off Boateng's arm. I think it's an unnatural movement. But Dortmund were in such a rush to try and capitalise that they took the the corner so fast that there was no chance, I think, for a VAR review. Um, they said it was never checked, but I think there was no time to for it to be checked. Because obviously, of course, once the game is restarted... Um, from a corner, then anything that preceded that can't be checked by VAR, apart from um, if you were to spit at someone or punch them in the face or use a really bad um, word or it's mistaken identity from a sending off, you can review those. But actual gameplay and incidents can't be looked at by VAR once the the game's carried on into that next phase and restarted. And I think maybe Dortmund's, I won't say naivety, um, but maybe their inexperience sees them not get a penalty. Because, I mean... I'll hand over to Manu, but I think if that is um, Akanji or Hummels' arm and that is um, Lewandowski or Muller looking at that, they don't take the penalty. They scream for they scream for a, a penalty and it gets reviewed and it gets given. Yeah, I think Bayern would have screamed murder if this has happened on the other side of the field. And I think they did. Um, there was an instance earlier 
where um, um, they thought they should have got, been given a penalty. I mean, it wasn't one and it was reviewed. Um, but, you know, and it was less than this. But they, yet they still paid attention to it. And it's it's little details, you know, for me, Chris, the, the, we always laugh about Manuel Neuer putting up his arm every time he's scored on. You know, he asks for offside call every every time he gets a, gets scored on. Um, you can hear it in little details now. You can hear it no, more now than you could before. Um, because of there's no crowd in, in the stadium, but <laughs> Lewandowski missed a shot on goal. It was miles off, and no Dortmund player was on it. And he still asked for a corner kick, and it's those little things like Bayern. They ask for the calls. It's not like they don't get the calls because um, you know they're favored by the referees or anything. It's because they ask for them, and they ask for them you know every time. And if you ask every time, maybe every once in a while you get away with it. And Borussia Dortmund, I mean, they should have they should have waited. Um, just a few moments on that corner kick. And I think you're right. With Maybe if there's fans in the stadium, they would have asked for it too. Um, I think for me, that's a blatant handball. They are more tank force and all that, but you can see his arm moving towards the ball. And if he doesn't touch it with his arm, that shot goes on goal. And yes, there's still Manuel Neuer, but it still goes on goal. And I think it's as blatant as a penalty as, as you can give. And it's, those little small details um, that make the difference between the two sides. I also think that uh, Roman Roman Berkey, um, Joshua Kimmich, the goal that he scored had a 6% possibility of going in according to the uh, AWS st stats. And I think Manuel Neuer makes that safe and Roman Berkey doesn't. And I think that's just these little tiny details that separate the two teams um, are really just the smallest of margins. And, there's been so much talk about, you know, Dortmund just not having the resources or the strength and all that to challenge Bayern. But the reality is when they play each other, most of the time, it's a very tight contest, which shows me the, the, the difference isn't really between the two. It's the way Bayern play the rest of the season and Dortmund, you know, Dortmund dropping points and at Union where Bayern don't. And I think those are just the little tiny details that make the difference in the end of the day. Well, this is it. But, um, I mean, Chris, if we just go back to you to, to talk about it a little bit. I mean, we looked at, you know, the great start by Dortmund at uh, the start of this season, um, you know, ahead of Bayern. That's what I mean. It, 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 in points difference, they, they were much better position and you know you look at the players that they brought in like Chan and Haaland and you just thought that this might be the year that they do it and it just hasn't really happened again I mean this must be so deflating I mean you know with all the investment coming in I mean it, you as you said is is Favre possibly a, the bit of the problem here I don't know if he's the problem as such um I just think that there's a, a number of young players you inexperienced players that haven't won a title. There's only Mats Hummels, really, who knows um, who's playing week in, week out now, who can look back and, and dig himself into a title fight. I mean, look at who Bayern have got on the pitch. They've got multi, multi um, Bundesliga winners. They've got winners from other leagues. They've got World Cup winners if they haven't won a league with um, Bayern. They've come into Bayern after winning a major trophy. So, they know what it takes and they know how to grind results out and get a win. And this was a really valuable win. And they they knew that um, should they win at Dortmund, it was pretty much it. And they went and did that. I think that Dortmund haven't got, um, they haven't got that experience. And until they get that experience, it's it's hard to, to find out and know what it takes to win a title. It's sort of a catch-22 situation because until you do win a title, you don't know what it takes. And unfortunately... Um, the only team with that sort of mentality is Bayern, which I, I think is why they do win titles. Because let's look at how they started the season under Kovac. It was poor. They were well off the pace. They were outside the top four at one point. Um, they didn't look like they could string passes together. They looked really vulnerable on counter-attacks. They looked really vulnerable from set pieces. Um, Dortmund um, should have been way ahead, and they weren't. Instead, um, Borussia Mönchengladbach found themselves as a surprise league leaders. Manu and I were in were in Borussia Park when they were top of the league and they'd just been put out of the Europa League. And um, the thought there from, from their stewards, and we spoke to them at the end of the match, was, OK, maybe we can now look and, and see if we can win a title. But even they knew that was going to be a hard chance because at some point Bayern would come back to being their best. But there was a chance there for Dortmund because they are the main title challengers, really, um, 
in in size and stature and and budget they should have been able to pull out a 9 10 12 point lead on Bayern when they were so poor and they didn't and then I personally think it's only since Haaland came in after Christmas um, and Chan when I think Dortmund really clicked together and started playing some exceptional football and you can't really do that just before you're about you know to go into a major part of the season it needs to be from the start and it's disappointing for them um, I don't know if they'll have learned anything to take it to next year because they've not got close enough I think had they have you know been beaten by one point um, this coming season that we're in now, they might have had a chance. But saying that, they were just edged out last season and haven't got any hunger from it. Um, I don't know if that happens with another coach. Um, I think maybe another coach. Let's be real. Dealing with tangled cords can make it harder to do your hair. Break free with the new Unbound Cordless Auto Curler from Conair. Get the curls and waves you want anytime, anywhere. It's designed to let you experience the power and freedom of beauty in motion. No cords to hold you back. You get your curls and waves your way. Unplug and be unbound. Loose curls, tight curls, beachy waves. The Unbound Cordless Auto Curler makes it easy to get the looks you love. Love your look. Live Unbound. Available at conair.com and search Unbound. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's them feed off that fear and that disappointment and makes them go out and win this title this season. Um, as I say, I do like Lucien Favre. I think he's, he's a really nice guy and he's a great guy to talk to and he's very chatty and he seems very knowledgeable and his, his understanding of the game is second to none. But I think he's a nice guy and I've said it on this podcast and I've, I've said it in writing many times or I've put it in writing many times. Nice people rarely win big things. You need a bit of nastiness in you. Amanu, we were talking um, just um, after the game about uh, Favre's comments. Um, a lot of people reading into that, that he was uh, maybe going to step away at the end of the season. Yeah, you never know with Favre, right? He is someone who, who, who will make decisions um, out of the blue. And he said um, after the game that we're going to talk in, in a few weeks. Um, and a lot of people thought that cryptic response meant that maybe he's going to, to leave the club. Um, I think it's been pretty much shut down that um you know by by various media but also Borussia Dortmund themselves saying um that he's under contract and Favre said he's going to fulfill this contract so I mean, maybe set out of emotions I mean we've seen that before that Favre will say something out of emotions um right after a game um he's not always the most communicative um person but he does sometimes let emotions get the better of him and I think in that instance he was just very disappointed about the result and Look, I think he had full right to be disappointed about the result because they were it was so tight, and it's these little small little things that make made the difference right and I can see him being frustrated about that um at the same time um it's it was also maybe his his decision making like could he have made, maybe brought on different players um and, you know I was on a different podcast yesterday, the total soccer show and um, I, you know, the Boateng situation, you can bet that Jurgen Klopp would have screamed his head off there, right? Uh, so I think it's, it's a tough one for me. I mean, Chris and I speak often about this and I think that Favre is in theory one of the best coaches in the world, but it's sometimes the little practical things that makes you wonder if he is a hundred percent of a good fit there. And Manu, talking about uh, people potentially leaving, there's uh, been talk about Roman Berkey um, could leave at the end of the season. Yeah, no, he's he's apparently signing a new contract um, at uh, Borussia Dortmund. There was talks, and I ran that story earlier today on Transfermarkt, that he um, that Chelsea are interested in him. I mean, Chelsea were interested in Manuel Neuer as well before he signed a new contract, right? I think Chelsea are desperate to find someone who's not keeper. Um, and they're looking looking at keepers um, that could be available. Berkey would have been available for very very little money if he had not signed a new deal. So um, I think that move is maybe off the table. 
Okay, good to clear up. Well, yeah, that unfortunately that result leaves it that there's seven points clear at the top of the table at Bayern Munich. So it looks uh, all but done, the title race, unfortunately, unless we have some uh, really interesting games coming up. But uh, let's talk about uh, probably the most uh, exciting game, well, on, on paper anyway, um, on Wednesday, as we've seen RB Leipzig taking on very much in form Bruno Labbadia. Uh, transformed Hertha Berlin. Uh, the game ended 2-2. Uh, Chris, um, a fantastic game to watch. Um, a game that, well, RB Leipzig seemed to think uh, on Twitter that they were hard done by. But um, that, that was far from the case in the game, wasn't it? And it, it, it is another stumbling block in them trying to get that Champions League spot. Yeah, we, we should probably clear up that the agency that RB Leipzig um, have transferred their English content to thought it was a harsh game. If you looked at the German account, which is run by the club's own media, uh, they said that they threw the game away in you know, 2-2. And we threw the game away. Uh, the, uh, the agency um, didn't quite see it that way, which is um, up for discussion about how clubs should use agencies or not. I think we can park that for a different podcast. But yeah, it was... Um, it was disappointing for me from watching on. You know, I'm not a Leipzig fan. I'm a fan of football, and I'd, um, I was in a privileged position to co-commentate their game on Sunday, where they were just unbelievably good against Mainz, and probably should have scored ten um, and didn't. Um, and I bet they wish they could have saved a few of those goals for uh, Wednesday night's game because I thought they were poor. Um, I really did think they were poor, and I think that was up to um, Bruno Labbadia and Hertha who made them look poor. Um, I thought in midfield where they were exceptional on Sunday, they were average. Um, and I think that was because um, Dorita played so well. I thought Gruwitz had a good game, obviously got his goal. Um, but I thought Hertha work um, individually so well together that it creates this fantastic team performance. Because I'm going to be honest, uh, the the what Hertha show... Um, you know, the sum's greater than the equal parts itself. I think on on reflection, Leipzig should have storm stormrolled them and they didn't. Um, but yeah, it's another good result for Hertha. And this is why I like Bruno Labbadia because he, we can play, or he can play exciting football that we can all watch. I think we look back to that Union derby where they were really fluid and played some real intricate football. Or they can play what sometimes is called anti-football. I think... Julian Nagelsmann described it as shitty football, which is probably a little bit harsh. Um, but if you can get a result by adjusting your tactics to either play to the opposition's strength or to negate their strengths, then that's really good coaching for me. Um, and I think it's another example of Nagelsmann having to do his development in public um, because I think maybe when he's a little older, um, you know, when he's got more experience in three, four seasons' time, this result doesn't happen. Um, but they were lucky, um, in a way, I think. Hertha, uh, sorry, Leipzig, I think they had Rui Jarstein to thank for going ahead. And it was probably fair that Adam Ola Luckman, who had, did have a good game until he committed a horrendous tackle to give away a penalty, I think a draw was a fair result. Uh, not for the title race, but certainly for Hertha. Yeah, I mean, Hertha Berlin look as, as good as RB Leipzig looked a, a little bit lost, didn't they? Um, Manu, how do you feel about um, RB Leipzig at the moment? I mean, they've got um, Borussia Mönchengladbach and Leverkusen are breathing down their necks, haven't they? Or just two points behind. Do you think it's going to be a struggle for them to get that Champions League spot or do you think they'll have just about enough? Yeah, I think they're going to get that Champions League spot, but... It's an interesting one because I've actually spent some time thinking about this. My thought ahead of the restart was that um, they would be one of the sides benefiting from the the really tight schedule and the, the many games, back-to-back games, because of, of the squad depth. And um, But I was a bit surprised on the, the run of results that they have had in the three games since the restart. And Spent some time yesterday, um, thanks to thanks to BC Hydro. I had no power yesterday, so I had lots of time to think. Um, and I thought a little bit about why why um, they have struggled. And I think it's it's maybe down to um, that early season syndrome that Julian Nagelsmann always has with any of his teams. I mean, we had that with Hoffenheim. We had it at the beginning of this season as well, right? 
um, his teams are notoriously slow starters. And that made me think, well, why is that the case? And I think it's because his tactics and his uh, coaching philosophy is extremely complicated. Um, it's very hard to follow. And while the players are all fit, and I know that they're all fit because I've, I've spoken to some of them during this break, I think that they may be um, not being able to work on tactics for three months is maybe something that is hurting them quite a bit. Um, curious to hear what you think about this too, Chris. But I thought that they were very disjointed at times against Hertha. Um, Ademola Lukman was all over the place, for example, ahead of the penalty. How often were Hertha able to get into that penalty area? And I mean, that second goal that they scored was really just a fluke uh, for, for RB Leipzig. Uh, it wasn't like that it was something that was drawn in tactic sports. A Schick just shoots from outside the box and Jarstein spills it, right? So I think maybe RB Leipzig have an early season syndrome. I I agree to some extent, had they not played as well as they did last weekend. But then if you go back to that first game back at home against Freiburg, then they looked exceptionally rusty. But I thought they'd nailed it in the performance against Mainz. But what we saw was a, a lot of rustiness again. And this is a team that we've spoken about in the past that have struggled because they've got a lack of experience um, playing midweek and on the weekend. But they're running Europe over the last few years, be it in the Champions League or the Europa League, has given them the experience to, to be able, or it should have given the experience, to be able to play Sunday, Wednesday, or Saturday, Tuesday, or Friday, Wednesday. They should have the ability to do that now. It's not new to them. It's not like when Ralph Hasenhuttle, you know, got them to where he did, and then all of a sudden it's a new thing for them to be able to play um, to be able to play midweek in the Champions League and it's all new and they don't really know what it's about and then it's hard to play, come back down and play in the weekend. They're playing Bundesliga games with a, a few days rest, so they should be all over this and they haven't. And I can only agree with Lano on that bit that I think it might be down to Nagelsmann's tactics because, I mean, that's what I love about watching Leipzig. You don't know what you're going to get and, and halfway through the first half it can change. Like against Mainz, they started with a back three and quickly went to a back four. So he does mix things up, but if you've not been working on that for three months, like Manu says, it can become mentally challenging, which then will obviously give you a little bit of physical burnout. And I think we saw that against Hertha. Some of the players look burnt out, which is not really the thing you want to be saying after two and a quarter games. No, not at all. And Chris, can we just uh, go back to you uh, for a little bit of an update on Timo Werner? I mean, what's the latest with him? Or are we going to see him move on? I mean, there's always plenty of talk about Liverpool. This is becoming what I love, which is a transfer saga. Um, I tweeted out the other day, is it a dance? It's a transfer dance. When can we call it a saga? I think we can pretty much call it a saga now. So um, Oliver Mintzlaff came out and said that um, Leipzig weren't prepared to sell him on the cheap. Obviously, there's a you know there's a clause there um, and they won't sell him for under market value, um, which is the right thing to do. Uh, Manu reported that on Transfermarkt US um, and then... Not 24 hours later, there was a report from David Maddock, who I know very well, great journalist, um, good sources at Liverpool, who, who said that Liverpool were now looking at walking away because they don't want to pay that money. Now, Manu will know as well as I do that um, transfers are, are a public dance sometimes. The Naby Keita saga was certainly one. Um, he wants to leave now. We're not going to pay this. You're not going to get him. He's not for sale. It's this back and two. Um, that I think generates a lot of interest for both clubs across the world and it generates some traffic and it generates some media interest. So I think their commercial departments will love it. Um, but I just think this is a dance and we will wait and see. I, I think it's pretty simple for Liverpool. Um, you pay the 55 million clause or you don't get him. He's got three years left on his contract. He's an exceptional forward. There's other teams in the in the Premier League and in La Liga um, and in Serie A all looking at him. So if you want him, Pay it, pay what he's worth. I mean, for his age and for his price currently, um, coronavirus or not, um, 55 million euros, 50 million pound or 51 million pound, depending on what day you look at the exchange rate, is a great price for a forward that could potentially lead your line or be part of your front three for the next seven, eight seasons. So it would make a good deal for me. So if I was Tom Werner and, and John Henry at Liverpool, I would dig deep and buy buy him straight away and, and put it to bed and be able to rotate your front three next season. Absolutely. I feel that this one's going to go on for a while and we'll probably be talking about it plenty in the coming months. 
And there was the song sang by the famous Yellow Wall at Dortmund. That's their intro song, Hea BVB, which is um, part of our theme uh, as we go forward. We're trying to play um, some uh, intro musics and songs that are you know, allocated with different um different German size. Be- why? Because, you know, they're so popular. They're, they're part of the match day and, and and part of that feeling, a feeling that we're missing slightly at the moment. But let's get back to the games that we can talk about. And unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about Dortmund's rivals, Schalke. Manu, it just goes from bad to worse, doesn't it, for David Wagner? And, you know, losing to Fortuna Dusseldorf, a team that are also struggling, but much further down the table, you know, losing 2-1 is just another terrible day at the office. And we just keep talking about that goalkeeper situation. Yeah, we do keep talking about the goalkeeper situation, I think. You know, very uh, fantastic three points for for my friend Lutz von Stier, who we had on this podcast before. Um, very happy for him that his side has picked up three points. But yeah, for Schalke, the situation is, is getting worse and worse. They're now on 37 points, right? Um, I think it's about four points off a European spot, which is what they wanted. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to get one. Um, and another mistake by Schubert um, for, for a game that, you know, they had to win. They have to beat Fortuna. Um, that's just, that's just not a three pointer for them. And, in in any any normal given day, right? So I think it's really this debate between um, Nübel and Schubert. It's become so such a big thing. Um, I mean, so many things are going wrong at Schalke right now. The fact that they were one of the teams that really hoped for a restart because of financial issues, right? Um, the fact that they lost Alexander Nübel on a free transfer to Bayern Munich, um, where he's probably going to sit uh, on the bench behind Manuel Neuer. We've covered this in the past. Um, and their decision to basically, because of Nübel's decision, and I think this is politics, you know, um, they basically decide, okay, well, you left, you're not going to play anymore. And I think that's a, it's a bad call. Um, it's getting to a point where they have to play the best players and Alexander Nübel is, is the better goalkeeper and they have to play him. And I think, um, the David Wagner debate, uh, I think he's a great coach. Uh, I think he's been handed a uh, poor deck of cards in, in many regards. I mean, the goalkeeper situation is another, uh, is one, but we have talked last week, for example, about all the other areas of Schalke that are lacking. I think Chris Williams, Chris Williams has now talked about um, them needing a striker. Chris, for how long? Like, what, two years? Um, um, yeah, it's ab- been a about while. that, since Bergstaller started to go dry. Exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of things going off. And I mean, goalkeeper, the goalkeeper debate is such a public one. Uh, it's a number one debate, but it's just one of many. But when it comes to that goalkeeper debate, just play your best keeper and the problem goes away. Absolutely. And so, Chris, I mean, you're getting into Europe seems to have uh, disappeared for Schalke. And uh, you sent an interesting um, stat over to Manu and I just a few days ago or it could have been yesterday even that um you just how bad Schalke have been since the winter break yeah they've been really poor um I mean I caught most of their game um on the weekend um, where they were beaten by um Augsburg um comprehensively then they were beaten by Schalke on this midweek match day after taking the lead um they've just been really poor and I'm in total agreement with Manu I know Alexander Nubel hasn't behaved um, particularly well from a club stand. Obviously, he's out of contract and he's going to leave on a free transfer. Got, you know, that, the, the laws exist for players to be able to do that, so I don't have a problem with it. Uh, but from a club perspective, he was a club captain and he's been benched. And I suppose it's a lesson for everybody to learn that you know, if, you're, if you're going to play for Schalke, if you're going to put that royal blue shirt on, then you know, if you were to cut, you would bleed royal blue, not red. Um, like Nubel shown that he that he does bleed, but it's it's quite simple. And like Manu said, start your best goalkeeper because for me, not only are they pretty lame up front, they're now pretty poor at the back, and that is no sort of recipe for success. Um, I do like David Wagner; I think he plays exciting football. Um, however, I think. We got to the last part of that game against Dusseldorf and we saw um, Sane end up moving further forward. Salif Sane go further forward as an attacker. That's a little bit desperate for me. That almost 
is the sort of thing that Domenico Tedesco would have done, just pulled a straw and, and thrown it forward. Maybe that's David Wagner um, with a little message showing that he needs m- m- more forward. I, I think he does. I spoke with Jochen Schneider back in October, uh, obviously the sports director of Schalke. He seemed to think that they had enough um, on the bench and they had enough in reserve to be able to get through any dry spell. But no, none of their strikers have come into any sort of form. So I desperately think that they need an attacker. Um, but they need to play their best goalkeeper because, I mean, Schubert, the mistake for um, for the second goal at, at 2-1, um, I think it's the second goal anyway, he goes to make the save. And any other keeper in the world tips it over the bar, but for some reason Schubert tips it up into the air. Um, and it's just an easy little header for the for the oncoming player to nod in. I can't remember if that's Hennings or um, Caraman's goal. I can't remember which one it was, but the, the save fires the ball up into the air and, and that is really poor goalkeeping. Um, and at some point he's chasing back 25, 30 metres um, to, to try and do some weird impression of Manuel Neuer when he's not got the skills to do that. So, Schubert isn't the answer. He's certainly not the answer um, when Nubel moves on. So they should probably start looking at that as well. Um, but yeah, if they have any sort of ideas about finishing in the top seven, which they've still got an opportunity, they might sneak that seventh place. Um, they're going to have to turn the form around and they're going to have to turn it around immediately. Yeah, Chris is absolutely right. And on Saturday, they'll be at home to Werder Bremen. They'll be hoping they can get a point or more in that game. Manu, we're going to go to you and talk about Onions um, striker Sebastian Poulter. He's effectively been told that he's to get lost when his contract um, finishes on the 30th of June. Why exactly is this um, such a, a big headline today? Well, he's actually been told to get lost right away. Um, he's still allowed to train with the team and that's about it. He um, did not agree to the salary cut. Um, he didn't want to participate in, you know, the club called that... <laughs> called it a lack of solidarity. Um, he did not want to take the cut that all of his teammates have been taking. Um, he's also voiced unhappiness about being at Union Berlin, period. And um, the club has said that they don't stand for, for the, that kind of behavior in what has been very difficult times. You know, if everyone in the club is is willing to um, forfeit some of the salaries, he should be as well. And um, they are going to part ways at the end of the season, but he's not going to feature again this year. Oh dear, oh dear, eh? Oh well. So, guys, let's move on to our Twitter questions. Once again, we've got quite a few uh, this week. And any listeners out there, just get in touch. We love hearing from you. So, we'll start off with the first one. We'll go to Chris for this one. So, we've got um, at Zagdig underscore 2020 um, says simply the reason for buyers heavy loss <laughs> um, and the reason for buyer Leverkusen's heavy loss I mean I don't know how long we've been saying this um, that's just buyer Leverkusen unfortunately one week um, they can win 4-0 the next week they can get beat 4-0 um, so it, it's, uh, it's it's a strange one for them they were beaten comprehensively by Wolfsburg um, at home um, and obviously home advantage hasn't gone the way that it um, you would have thought it would have done. And, and is that because of empty stadiums or is just, that just some sort of coincidence? I think we'll find out as the match days go on. But yeah, Leverkusen were excellent against Gladbach and then fast forward a few days and they were pretty poor um, against Wolfsburg. And I thought they were really good when the first match came back and um, when they were away at... Werder Bremen, they were good. So they've been good, good, bad. Maybe they're going to be bad for this next game, Bryce. It's just a part of the um, Peter Bosch way of playing football, which I think is really exciting. Um, and I think that Leverkusen are one of the best top five sides in Germany. Um, and I think Peter Bosch fits well. But for me, this is just how um, Leverkusen play. They're an exciting team to watch. I'd hate to support them. Because I don't, you don't know what's going to happen from week to week. I think if you support a team right down by the bottom, your expectation levels are set. If you support Bayern, your expectation levels are set. I think if you support Bayern Leverkusen, you don't know what you're going to get, and that makes it really exciting. But what's the reason for their heavy loss? That's just the way they play football. They win 
by a lot or they get beat by a lot there seems to be no middle ground yeah i get plenty of people saying to me it's like you guys are so harsh on peter bosch and when when they have a run of games uh, they almost say well you're gonna have to eat your hats now but then something like this happens and you know we we messaged each other didn't we and we said you know normality has resumed that this is Bayer Leverkusen for you um, these days but uh, Manu let, let's talk about their main man in Kai Havertz we've got uh, an email from a long listener um, Thomas he says how do you feel about Kai Havertz's performances lately yeah he was great on the weekend I kind of feel bad we didn't talk about him then and then um, unfortunately this was not a a good game by him and it's interesting this new role that Peter Bosch has developed for him as a as a number nine um not 100% sure like I like I like that he plays there and I like that he can you know can fulfill that role but um I think Bayer Leverkusen have need that need that stability that he provides in midfield and um you know in, in that regard maybe it would be better for him to play there but um at the same time, I love the fact that you can put him in as a number nine and he can be just like very, very effective. Yeah, that's it. He's another man that I'm sure we'll be talking about plenty in the coming uh, weeks uh, and hopefully longer than that. You know, I'm, I'm hoping he stays in the Bundesliga long term, if I'm being honest. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's go to question number three of four here. We've got uh, RJP who asks, can Rosler keep Dusseldorf up? Do you think anyone will poach Hennings if they go down? And Robin Kosh, time to move on to a bigger club. What do you reckon, Chris? Well, can um, can Dusseldorf stay up? I think if you were to offer them, I think Manu said this last week, if you were to offer them that playoff place now, they'd probably bite your hand off. Um, I think they can stay up. The, the football certainly improved um, under Rosler. I think uh, Lutz Flansteel was right to part company um, in the way he did with the previous coach, uh, Friedan Funkel, because I don't think the play was particularly well. I don't think he was utilising um, his squad in the in the right way, playing the right players at the right time. So they have um, certainly changed their way of, of playing football. And I think we've seen that over the last couple of matches. Okay, they threw away um, a bit of a goal. Um, sorry, they threw away the fixture against Cologne, you could argue, but it's a derby, sort of take that out of form. Um, and this is a good win against a side that really they shouldn't be expected to beat away from home, um, and they did beat them. So they've got a really tough game against Bayern. Um, Hoffenheim is a game they could possibly win. I mean, then they've got two tough fixtures against Dortmund and Leipzig, and then you would think they should win the bottom two. It, for me, it's all on how Werder Bremen get on. You would think the points um, gap, uh, five points between 17th and 16th, should be enough. Um, but yeah, it, for me, I think they have the right players. They have the right the right staff. I'm not sure if you're going to move on from Dusseldorf, where you're going to go, because I think you're probably at the right level. Should they drop down, I think they they may have an exodus of a couple of players. But if they finish 16th, I think that's a really good finish for them because that puts them in you know the top 18 sides in Germany. And I personally think that they're in the top 25 sides. So if they can stay in the top tier by finishing in the top 18, uh, sorry, in the top 16, good luck to them. Yeah, staying in the Bundesliga is going to be their main priority, obviously. And it's very much a possibility, you know, when they're only one point behind Mainz and two behind Eintracht Frankfurt. Final question of the day. Lubo asks, I just made an argument that BVB should keep Favre. Favre teams always do outperform their underlying XGD number. So XGD goal difference, is that expected goal difference? Manu, we're going to go to you for this final question. I was afraid you would go to me with this question. Um, you know, I think that Chris and I have talked many, many times about XG. Um, I think it's a value that you have to enjoy with a, with a grain of salt. Uh, it um, doesn't tell the full story. I mean, XG is being used by so many people incorrectly or as like a full scale of how, um, you know, valuing a full match. Um, I think that it is it is a helpful tool, nothing else. As for Borussia Dortmund, yeah, I mean, um, and I've said this on this podcast, I've said it on other podcasts, Lucien Favre is someone who likes to have his teams 
shoot from high scoring probability areas and try to defend areas where there is um, high scoring probability as well, right? Um, that's designed on XG. It's, uh, it's football. Football is being almost the football field is almost being divided like a chessboard uh, in, in Faber's thinking, and it's it's a good it's a good way of playing football. I'm 100 in in accordance with that. I mean, the score goal scoring um, rate was 39.2 percent. Um, conversion rate was 39.2 percent going into the Classica which is an unreal number. I mean, it's a lot higher than anyone else has in the Bundesliga. And it highlights that they need very few chances to score a lot of goals. Now, the question that I have with this, and I think when you look at Borussia Dortmund, they have without a doubt the the second best, if not maybe the best squad in the Bundesliga at the moment. I think this year they maybe started the season with the better team and then they added the best striker in the world um, or one of the best strikers in the world. They, this is a side that should be going easily toe-to-toe with Bayern Munich and um, X, how much is XG worth? Well, Joshua Kimmich scored from an area of the field where six percent, where there was a six percent probability of the ball going in. Right? XG means almost nothing if you have players that can score from anywhere or have the instinct to score from anywhere. So Bayern Munich basically did in this game in particular what Borussia Dortmund usually do to their opponents. They did not let Dortmund get into these high XG scoring areas and that meant that the few shots that they were taking to begin with, they were not taking at all. And um, that is why XG in many ways can be a very misleading stat. And while his side is doing very well in converting chances, maybe taking more chances is something that Borussia Dortmund should be looking at and it's something that they definitely did under Jurgen Klopp when they, had them, when they were at their most successful. Absolutely, that XG uh, argument rages on, doesn't it? Well, guys, that more or less does it uh, for the midweek podcast. I hope that you all enjoyed it. And before you know it, there's going to be more Bundesliga action coming your way this weekend as we'll be back with another podcast. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.